Watching the news can be tough, can't it? And I think we would all agree as a foundational thought for what we're going to talk about today that our world is a pretty chaotic place. Matter of fact, I want you to write this down as we, we begin to take notes. Our world, our, we live in a crazy, unsettling, certain time, uncertain time. Crazy, unsettling, uncertain times. And it is very, very difficult not to get caught up in the bad news, isn't it? I, uh, I think God knew that. I think God knew that the world would never be a place we'd be comfortable. The world would never be a place we could call home. And so he offered us, spliced throughout, throughout Scripture, all sorts of uh, advice, uh, admonitions, so that we could learn to trust him more and we could live above the world. In Luke 21, Jesus talks about at the end times, when, when the world is getting ready to crash and burn, that Christians uh, will be able to live in a different way. We won't have that same sense of fear and foreboding, that we will have a different perspective. We'll have news that the rest of the world doesn't have as a result of being connected to God, as a result of following Jesus, we can have peace in the midst of conflict. We can have joy in the midst of chaos. We can live above the fray. Matter of fact, he said that when the world is going crazy around us, that we can lift our heads towards heaven. You ever done that? Why don't you do that with me right now? We can lift our heads towards heaven, and we can know that our redemption is nigh, that it's near, that it's coming soon. We can live unafraid because when the world has gone crazy, when it looks like it could implode, it just means we're closer to him. We're closer to heaven, that our redemption is at hand. I, uh, I want you to know that I think that that how you operate in the world, how you respond to what happens in the world, is directly related to how you see God, how much you trust Him, how much you love Him. Even bad things become good when you have the kind of relationship with God that guards and governs and guides your life. Even an injury can be a good thing if you have the right perspective, right? Can I tell you about what I did to myself this week? I have, you can't see it here because it's kind of, it was really big at one time, but it's small now. I have a little cut on my thumb. And let me tell you how this happened. I have uh, been uh, on a diet. Most of you have been able to look and say, man, you look awful skinny these days, Todd. Some of you are kind of getting around to that and, and you haven't said it yet. But anyway... I, I, I have only really one belt that I like. I'm wearing it right now. And when I would put the belt in the very back hole, it still wouldn't hold my pants up, which was growing embarrassing. So I decided to poke a hole in this belt a little further uh, towards the skinny side, right? 
And I took it off, I want to say that to begin with, and, and I went over to uh, Pam and Joanne's desk, and I got a pair of scissors out, and I began the surgical operation. And as I cut the hole in my belt, which I was successful, I also sliced my thumb, and it hurt, and I wept a little, <laughs> sympathy, bled a lot, but now every time I look at this cut, and even though it's still kind of paper cutish tender, you know what I think? I'm skinny. <laughs> So that story tells you this. doesn't matter what happens to you. If you can find a way to put a positive spin on something, it makes all the difference, doesn't it? I believe in our world there are, you know, we categorize people a lot of different ways. But I believe there are two kinds of folks who are almost kind of born this way. There, there are folks who have a natural joy and happiness about them, don't they? There's a enthusiasm. You, you see them. You know that uh, you're going to be in the presence of someone who's positive and upbeat, and they just kind of lift you up. You feel good when you're in their presence. And there are other people who are, who are kind of born with uh, pessimism in their heart and mind, right? Amen? Uh, generally, they're not happy about much of anything. Generally, they're kind of looking for something to complain about that kind of deal. You, you know what I'm talking about. You've maybe married one of those two kinds of people, and, and you're living what you, you got what you deserve, I guess. Uh, I really believe, though, that no matter what spirit you're born with, you can adopt the Spirit of God. And He can infuse you, one of the fruits of the Spirit, with joy. It, it can make a difference in your life. And, and being a Christ follower, some of you are here today, you, you know for sure you're headed to heaven. You've got the Spirit in your life, God in your, God in your heart, and you're following Him. And, and, and you ought to be infused with joy. If you're not happy, man, something's wrong in your relationship with Christ. Others of you are here, and you're searching for that today. You You've got to admit that there are times in your life you're not very happy. There are times in your life where you're fairly pessimistic. Maybe you're just afraid to count on God because you're not really sure that God is the good guy that he claims to be. You're not really sure that, that God is trustworthy. So I want to talk today about how we gain a perspective that allows us to see God through different eyes, and how we can be infused with joy and that peace can replace anxiety in our life. So we've got a lot to look at. Uh, I want to just talk about that perspective for, for a second. I am a, 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 a TV fan. I, I like to watch TV. Uh, some really, really great shows on TV and some really, really, really bad shows on TV, right? But I don't watch TV like the normal human watches TV, like you guys do, because you're normal, right? Yeah, convince yourself of that. Uh, instead of, because I'm not usually home in the evening, so instead of watching stuff when it comes on its regular time, I 
go to Amazon and I order the whole series for the year. And then I watch them at home. I watch them when I'm driving places, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Whole season. And probably at the top of my list is a show called Justified. Anybody here seen Justified? Man, it's set in Kentucky, so you know it's good. Uh, the, the main character is a guy named Raylan Givens. And Raylan Givens was born in Harlan, Kentucky. And I mean, I don't know who, who, who characterized this program, who wrote the show, but it's like you have stepped into the mountains of Kentucky when you watch this show. He's got it downhill. And now, if I was a U.S. Marshal, this is the guy I'd want to be. I mean, this guy, he, I mean, he's tough, he's rough, he's smart, women love him, men fear him, that kind of thing, you know, Uh, and any fix he gets into, he gets out of. Doesn't matter how many bad guys are on the show, he slays them all. Now, about a month ago, I finished watching season four on my little DVD player. And at the very end of the last show of season four, it looked like to me Raymond was doomed. I mean, he was surrounded. There were bad guys of just a major epic proportion. And, you know, there was just no way that he was going to make it. And, and, you know, they leave you with a cliffhanger. You know, there's a bullet coming towards him. And, you know, it just looks like end of the deal. And I kind of got upset about it. You know, this is good stuff. What am I going to do next year, you know? And then I thought, well, I just watched season four after the DVD came out. Season five, if they have it, is probably already on. So I turned on the TV and went to FX and started looking through there. Sure enough, there was season five, and there was Raylan. My anxiety disappeared. My life was right again. Everything was good because I knew there was another season, and I was going to see him again. Now, why did I tell that stupid thing right there? Exactly. Here's why I told you that. We know there's another season coming in our lives. Because we know God, we know he's on his throne. We know the scripture. We know that he lives within our hearts. It doesn't really matter what happens in this world because we're not at home here. It doesn't really matter what trials and troubles and temptations we deal with, we face. We have a perspective that says one day our redemption will be at hand. One day God Let's just look at this passage. This is amazing. It's in Revelation chapter 21. Here's our perspective. Here's what's going to happen. Listen to this. John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. No longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Can you imagine? He's visioning heaven, visioning what his new life is going to be about. I I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven for God, from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
I, I do a lot of weddings, and you know, my favorite moment in the wedding is when the groom is standing beside me, pacing, thinking, what have I got myself into? And the, the door opens back there, and, and, and there's dad who'd rather not be here, and the bride. And that bride is adorned in white. Her hair is up here instead of down here. I mean, she's, whoa. And, and you know, looking better than she has ever looked before, probably ever will look again. I want to get into that. Here's the point. The husband's eyes get as wide as saucers. He starts shuffle. He stops the shuffle. And he basically, I, can, I can't hear him say it, but I know what he's thinking. Hubba hubba. <laughs> Whoa. You remember, remember when... Adam was put to sleep in the Garden of Eden, and God took a rib and, and, and made Eve. Remember that story? And Adam woke up. You know what he said? Hubba hubba. Look at it. It's in the Bible. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He didn't say that. He said hubba hubba. Wow. Good deal, God. Well, here's what the Scripture says. I want you to catch this. We're going to seek God. And our eyes are going to be like saucers. Our bride adorned for us. Then John says, I heard a loud voice from God's throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God's going to live next door. Remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve would walk in the cool of the night with God, their neighbor, their Lord, their creator, and just talk? One day you're going to be able to walk through the streets of heaven with God himself and talk. He'll dwell with you, the Bible says. And then he says he will wipe away every tear. From your eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. No more injury. For the old things have passed away. Now, do you believe that? Let me ask you again. Do you believe what I just read to you? Then what could rob you of your joy and your peace now? Well, you say, preacher, you don't know what's happened to me this week. You don't know the people I live with. You don't know the junk that I have to deal with. You don't know how stupid my life is. And you know, you know, you know if you've had kids, if you've got a teenager, you know, where is their middle name or yours while they're, you know, growing up. You know, and, and, and you can just justify and, and rationalize all sorts of worry, anxiety, all sorts of of just being miserable, angry, bitter. You just don't know, preacher, what goes on in my life. I can't help but be this way. If you knew my family, you'd understand. If you knew my mother-in-law, guys will say, you'd understand. So God knew that we'd feel that way. So he gave us another passage of Scripture. And this is in Philippians chapter 4. 
And here's what I want to encourage you to do. I know many of you don't bring your Bibles anymore because you know it's going to be on the screen. But I want you to go home, and I want you to somehow index this verse, uh, whether you put a, a bookmark, whatever. But I want you to be able to get to this, and I want you to mark your Bible up so you can see these verses often. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. I want to stop right here and just tell you this. The Bible is full of commands. In fact, in, in Exodus 20, Bible makes it implicit that there are certain things we should do and we shouldn't do. What do we call those things? No problem understanding that God says, here's how it should be done. Here's a command to you. Those are written in the Hebrew in what we would call in English the imperative tone. In other words, do it or else, right? And all of us who read the commandments understand that if we kill, if we steal, if we commit adultery, if we take God's name in vain, uh, if there are other gods before God, our life is going to be troubled, right? So we understand why God commands it. And here in Philippians, he issues another command written in the same tone. What's he say? Rejoice. God commands you to rejoice. It's not an option. Rejoice in the Lord. If you're sour and miserable and sad and negative, you're sinning against God because God has given another command. Rejoice. In fact, this is probably more important than all the others because if you look through the Ten Commandments, God doesn't say, you shall not kill. Again, I say, you shall not kill, does he? He doesn't say, you shall not commit adultery. Again, I say, you shall not commit adultery. But here he says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. So write that down. You're commanded to rejoice. And then he tells us how. He says, let your gentleness, and, I, and in the NIV it says reasonableness, and I like that word a little better because I think it catches the entirety of what he's going to say. Let your reasonableness be evident to all the Lord is near. Now those two sentences go together. When, when, when we're seeing the word gentleness and in the other translation, reasonableness, what God's saying is there ought to be a, a reasonableness about your spirit, a gentleness about who you are, uh, that you don't overreact to situations, that you don't just get all up in arms, that, that when something happens, instead of flying off the handle, you wait, you pray, you're peaceable. Did you hear about the uh, fly who was buzzing around in the kitchen? And the, the, the uh, uh, mother and the family had just been chopping bologna. Aren't you glad we don't have to eat as much bologna as we used to, by the way? By, amen? Anyway, she's chopping some slices of bologna off the big old bologna roll. And the fly sees the knife that she's been using, and there's some bologna gobbed up on the knife. So that fly slides in, flies in, whatever fly does. And, and, and he starts to gorge himself on little bologna remnants. And he ate way too much. And it's like, you know, going to White Castle. You eat way too much. Even if you eat one, it's way too much. And uh, so he eats way too much, and he attempts to take off, to leave the handle. And he crash lands, and he goes flat 
fly death right there. You know the moral of the story? Don't fly off the handle if you're full of baloney. And <laughs> you know what can we say? I mean, we we just don't always have that reasonableness about us. We find it easier to get angry, find it easier to just demonstrate that we really don't have much joy in our lives. The scripture said, be gentle, be reasonable, because the Lord is where? He's near. And then, it, this is amazing if you think about this verse, because this could be the most life-changing verse that you've ever applied. Here's what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guide your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. See what I'm talking about? Because here's what it says. Remember, this whole paragraph here is written as a command. And so not only does God command us to rejoice, when we get down here a little bit further, he talks about being reasonable and gentle and and near to him, and then he says that it is possible. Listen to me. It is possible for you to never worry again. You believe that? Come on. Some of you are professional worriers, aren't you? If you can't think of anything to worry about, you call up a friend and say what's wrong, right? Don't you? I mean, it's just ingrained into your spirit. And, and, and the Bible is saying here that, you know, whatever may happen, says in every situation. What's every mean? Every. That if you will step back and think about who God is and what he desires to do in your life, it's possible to give that to him and deal in confidence and assurance rather than in anxiety Next thing it says is pray. Pray and petition God and give some thanksgiving. When trouble comes our way, when we start to worry, the first thing that goes is thanksgiving. We stop thanking God because we're starting to blame God. We, We believe if things aren't like they should be in our life, if circumstances and situations don't go to our liking, that it's God's fault. Some of you are sitting here today and you're probably ticked off at God for something or another. Well, that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says it's okay to be mad at God, that God can take it. He's bigger than that, that God understands your heart. But it also says you don't have to be, that you can rise above whatever situation comes heart by giving it to Him because He's bigger than that can pray about it. Now, I, wanna, I just want to get honest with you here. Not that I haven't been already, by the way, because when somebody says that, you're thinking, did all that other stuff matter? It did. It was true. 
But most of us don't pray with much confidence and assurance. Most of our prayers are riddled with doubt. Let me illustrate. Let's say you are an employer and you are assigning tasks to your employees. You know that if you say to person A and person B, go and do this, here's exactly what I want you to do, they will complete the task perfectly and with diligence, right? But there's employee C and D, and you know if you give them a task, that there's a good chance it's not going to happen how it should and when it should. And you're checking back to see if they're doing and progressing, and you're worried and concerned that it's not going to happen, right? Understand? Do like this. If you didn't understand that, you're a parent. You say to child A, go to the grocery, here's $50, get me this, this, and this, bring me back a receipt, bring me back my change, be back by... 10 o'clock. Child A, you never think another thing about it. They come back, they give you receipts, a dual receipt if you want one, tell you how many fuel points you got at Kroger's, tell you what you've saved at Kroger's. Yeah, well, what did I spend is what I want to say to the people when they tell me that. But I mean, they just bring it back perfectly. They give you every penny. You give child B $50, they may not even make it to Kroger's. <laughs> right? You're calling them all night. They may take your call. They may text you. I'll have it done soon. You know, you know what I'm saying, right? Amen. Now listen to me. Most of us treat God like he's an irresponsible employee or an untrustworthy child. God, here's my prayer. God, when are you going to do it? God, don't you know how important this is to me? God, what's wrong with you? God, how can I trust you? Most of us pray with very little faith, and we lose our thanksgiving, and our faith dwindles. Most of us treat God as if he's not trustable when it comes to giving him our lives. In fact, he's so untrustworthy to most of us that we, we, we have something that happens in our life. It may be a, a relationship breakdown. It may be a financial crash. It, it, it may be a job setback. It, it, it may just be a, a hard-hearted spirit, but something happens in our life and we deem him to be so untrustworthy, we keep it, we hold it to us, we turn it into anger and a grudge because we don't really believe God cares enough or is big enough to change what's happened. And if not to change us, to carry us through. We treat him like an untrustworthy child or an irresponsible employee. You know, here's the fact. 
we, we stress and we get anxious and we worry and, and we allow our burdens to defeat us because things happen in every one of our lives that we can't control. And I'll be honest with you, when something's out of my control, when I can't say, here's what's going to happen here and when and how, here's my life's plan. I don't like it. Do you? And the hardest thing in my relationship with God in my life is having his peace because I want to hold on to my control. I often forget and need to be reminded in my spirit that God is in the throne room and he's sitting and he's observing and he's watching as only he can do. Nothing that happens in this life and specifically in your life is a surprise to God. Nothing. Whatever's happened, God's already begun to prepare a place of healing. God's already worked out a solution. But somehow or another, we allow Satan, we allow circumstances to rob us of the things that most are most necessary. Our joy, our peace, our faith. And we live miserable lives, broken and ruined lives, racked with hurt, weaknesses, because we don't trust Him. Stress, anxiety, and worry. What would it take today for you to learn that lesson? To learn the God of the ages has control. And that he wants you to be joyful, peaceful, reasonable in the midst of terrible circumstances. I love the picture of us looking to heaven in the midst of chaos remembering our redemption. It's kind of like this story. And I, and I know before I tell you this story that some of you are going to shake your head and say, what a terrible parent. I don't care. My uh, middle child, JT, how I can say this gently and tenderly, he was not an avid pursuer of academic success. You know that type, right? Maybe you could say amen to that. And so going to school and having to deal with grades was, was, was a difficult time in his life and in my life. And I had done everything. I, you know, I'd taken this, I'd taken that, grounded, you know, just all the things that we do as parents when, when the grades aren't what they should be. So none of it worked. None of it worked. 
So one day I had wind of the fact that he was coming home with a bad report card. A couple of A's, a CD, and an F. An F in math. No, no, nobody should get an F in algebra, should they? Nah. Two A's, CD, and an F. And so he brings the report card in. He says, hey, Dad, I got two A's. What a good spin on that, right? And then I looked at the rest, and here's what I said to him. You know what? We need to celebrate this, don't we? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go get a steak. We're going to head to the Outback. And after we eat, I've got really good tickets for the Reds game. And after we go to the Reds game, we're going to jet across the river, not to Hooters, by the way, to the Game Works. We're going to have a good time. We're going to celebrate this mess. And I want to demonstrate to you, JT, grace. And that's what we did. We threw the report card down. We went to the steakhouse. We went to the Reds game. We went to GameWorks. I dropped $30 playing stupid games. I think we probably ate again now that I think about it because there was food there. He didn't know what to make of that. He just kept, you know, looking, are we really doing this? And here's the rest of the story. He went back to school the next Monday. All of his friends knew that he was going to be in some big trouble. They didn't know what he'd look like when he got back to school. So they were saying to him, man, what happened? What'd your dad do to you? He said, he took me to the Outback Steakhouse. He took me to the Reds game. Then we went to GameWorks. We partied. You know what they said? I wish I had a dad like that. (laughs) I wish I had a dad like that. Now listen to me. We live in a terrible, terrible, sinful, fallen world. And when people look around and they see you living with reasonableness and gentleness, they see a joy about you. They see peace when you ought to be screaming in terror. When they see something that they don't expect, they're going to say, why? How can you live like that? How can you react like that? And you're going to say, because of my daddy. And they're going to say, I wish I had a daddy like that. God commanded you, not asked you, not gave you an option. He commanded you to rejoice. Quit being so stinking, glum, miserable, grumpy, and hard to deal with. God commanded you. It's your birthright to be joyful. God commanded you to live with peace in your heart. Quit worrying. We win. Live, live in such a way that people 
look at you and say, I want a daddy like he has, like she has. If you don't have that spirit today, I think it's available at this altar. If you're here and you're racked with weary, I think peace is available at this altar. If you're here and you're not sure you're on the winning team, salvation is available at this altar. God loves you, and you can trust him. You can trust him with your life. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you that though we don't deserve it, grace is poured out on us. Thank you that, that, that when, you f- when we follow you and you fill, your, fill us with your spirit, that we get joy and hope and love and peace and all of these gifts. And I pray for peace in the life of these, your people. I pray for assurance and confidence. And I, I pray for absolute trust in your power. And I pray that this time of response and invitation might be a time of life change. In Jesus' name.